Welcome to the Specific Faith Podcast. My name is Eric. This is episode 21, and today's episode is, well, it's very, very difficult. Uh, not that the other ones have been easy, but this one more so than others, because the subject matter of today's podcast affects so many people on such a deep, deep level. And I want to handle this the best way and most patient way that I know how, because I understand that this uh, topic that we're going to talk about today is we've been so misled, so deceived into, uh, into what what Jesus really means in this specific teachings. If you haven't been following along and this is your fir first podcast, welcome. My name is Eric. I wrote a book called The Gospel According to Barabbas. It's on Amazon. It's also on my website, specificfaith.com, where you can pick up a copy of it. And in the book, the first half of the book, I take the idea of easy believism, and that is where Jesus Christ is your Savior. You believe in the death, burial, and resurrection. You believe in the virgin birth. You believe in the Bible. You believe God created the world. You believe Jesus died for your sins. But uh, the missing piece under easy believism is that you don't keep his commandments. And that's the missing link. And so that's the first half of the book. And I go through quite a bit of that. If you want to go back to the first podcast and start listening through, you can hear that. But the second half of the book, I take five teachings of Jesus that's found in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, and I plug them into the parable of the sower found in Mark chapter 4. And the reason why I did that in the book, and I'm doing it through the podcast, is because it is a diagnostic test that will weed through all the deceit to find out who we really are. You know, everyone wants to know, are we saved or are we lost? If we could go to heaven and look inside that book of life and find out whose name's in it, we would first look for our own name. Then we would look for people that we love. But we don't have that option to come back and tell everybody. But what we do have is the words of Jesus, the specific teachings of Jesus. And we have the parable that explains four different responses. And how you respond to this teaching and the other teachings that Jesus has in the Sermon on the Mount will tell you if you bear fruit or not. And don't be confused. In the parable, bearing fruit is obedience. No other way around it. And there's only one kind of person who obeys, and that's the one who believes. And so today we're going to do the same thing we've done with the last three teachings, and that is... We're going to take, take a teaching of Jesus and plug it into the parable of the sower and find out what our response is. But before we do that, I want you to know that I, too, am heavily affected by this teaching. And it's the teaching of remarriage after divorce. You know, there, there has been a long, lots of discussions, lots of videos made about remarriage after divorce. And if it's a sin to remarry someone while your spouse or your spouse's spouse is still alive. And whenever I was born again and I began to read the scriptures like a 10-year-old, just read them and believed what they said, 
I came across this teaching in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus says, Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let her give him, let, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. And when I read that and believed what he said and, and kind of not paid attention to any of the other teachers that are out there today, but just what does the scripture say? What does Jesus say? What does Paul say? What does Moses say? I found that um, we have betrayed this teaching of Jesus on so many levels. There are entire denominations that have dismissed this teaching. And they default and say, well, God forgives sins. And you may have sinned in the past, but you can move forward. And we'll get into that here in just a little bit. Um, but I'm affected by this because my, my mom and dad got a divorce after 24 years of marriage and they got remarried now i'm still married to my wife for at this time 23 years and so i'm i i don't know what it's like to go through this but when my dad my dad had an affair on my mom and that caused the divorce and then uh, my dad got remarried to the woman that he had an affair with and then my uh, my mom later on found someone, and I did the wedding. I performed the wedding, uh, meaning that I was the minister who <laughs> tied the knot, if you will, and signed the marriage certificate and filed it at the courthouse. And so I'm I was involved in this i didn't know the answer to this but whenever i was born again and i read this teaching and then i kept going through the scriptures and i kept seeing it being brought up i noticed you know obviously in matthew 5 and then jesus brings it up again in matthew 19 where uh, the pharisees have a question about it it's mentioned in romans 7 1 through 3 and first corinthians 7 in several parts of that chapter uh, about remarriage after divorce uh, and of course all the way back in Genesis 2 24 where, G, where God establishes what marriage is that the the two shall become one flesh and so you know I'm I'm not a bystander on this throwing rocks at people who are remarried right now when they have a spouse who's still alive uh, I I if, if I'm going to be transparent with you, I'll tell you, I tried to find a way out of this. I, I searched the scriptures high and low looking for an out because everywhere I looked, people were given permission. You know, they would say that divorce and remarriage may be a sin, but, you know, they would say that it was forgiven and that you can move on. But when I, re when I read the teachings of Jesus and all these scriptures, I found a picture that was very different from cultural Christianity. And, and so I stared at this a lot. And, and I've done a lot of research. I've gone back. I've read the whole thing looking at this. Uh, Old Testament, New Testament. And uh, in the teaching that Jesus 
does in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he starts with the law of Moses where he says, furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate divorce. That's what the Jews taught. You know, if you find uncleanliness or something that some of the rabbis taught that that could mean not just sexually immoral, but if you don't like the way she cooks, (laughs) then you can give her a certificate of divorce. But that's not what Moses was saying in Deuteronomy 24. If you go back and read Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, you'll see that, that Moses wrote that if, she, if, she, if you send her away and she joins herself to another man, she can't come back because she's defiled, she's defiled herself. And certainly we can wrap our minds around that idea. But the Jews had turned it into you know, just a reason for to, to divorce someone that you don't want anymore. But in the teaching in Matthew 5, Jesus continues by saying, But I say whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And so Jesus starts with the law of Moses and fixes their interpretation of it. And then he puts in his interpretation of it, which is the final interpretation of it, where he says that um, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality, right, has she been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. Now, there's a question there. Why does this cause a woman to commit adultery? And the reason why is because for her to have the life that she wants or even to live, period, back in this day, and even sometimes today, she's going to need the help of someone. Because if she has children, a home front, you know, somebody's got to plow the field and take care of the, the, the home, and, and it takes two to live. Now, for the most part today, that's also true. Uh, Certainly, if the woman wants to have any kind of life that she wants, she's going to need to get remarried, and that's why divorcing her causes her to commit adultery. And then in the second part, it says, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So if you are married to your spouse and you decide to leave that spouse and go and be married to someone else that you love or want more, um, you are committing adultery because your spouse is still alive. Now, I didn't say committed adultery, and Jesus doesn't either. He says commits, meaning present tense. It's a continuation of adultery. And that's what I ran into whenever I was reading this, because if you believe that God forgives sins, which we, we, I mean, thank goodness God forgives sins, you know, then, then you can say, well, why doesn't he just forgive this one? Well, if you believe that you have to repent of sins, meaning that you don't just ask for forgiveness, but you actually have to turn away from it, then that makes it, uh, this remarriage thing uh, sticky. Because how do you repent of a sin that you're living in perpetually. That's the issue I ran into. And, and that's the issue that I ask 
people and didn't talk about it much because I found a lot of persecution from it. But that's that's the issue. How do you repent of a sin that you're perpetually living in? And when you're remarried, when you're married to someone and it's adultery because your spouse is still alive, you're living with someone who's actually not your spouse, according to the Bible. And that's, you know, the, the thing. Now, my dad, three months before he died, I, I was bothered by what I read, and I knew my parents were re- divorced and remarried to other people. And I performed the wedding at my mom's, you know, new marriage. And so, uh, you know, under heavy conviction, I go and start talking to my dad about it. And I say, you know, this is what it says. And then, you know, and his reply to me was, well, I just believe that God forgives sins. And, you know, I don't, I'm not worthy anyway. And no one is. And he brought up King David. And I can't tell you how many people bring up King David uh, because he committed adultery and murder. And they say, well, he, he made it in heaven. But I, I mentioned in a previous podcast, if you go to Second Samuel chapter 12, I do believe it is, where you see Nathan rebuking David for his sin. Nathan will say to him um, that this gives the enemies of the Lord a great occasion to blaspheme. And what that told me was that anyone who uses King David as a crutch for their own sin or an excuse for their own sin is actually an enemy of God. And that scared the daylights out of me because I realized how many people have used David and um, they're called God's enemies. And so talking with my dad about it, you know, he gives this default answer and I, and I say to him, you know, but how do you, how do you repent? How do you turn from a sin that you're living in? And through this, you know, I like to reason these things out. I I realize that, you know, if you were to murder someone, uh, heaven forbid, you go to jail for your crimes, you can sit in prison and ask God to forgive you for that and, and actually stop murdering because that's a one-time event, hopefully. Hopefully it never happens, but let's say it's a one-time event. You ask for forgiveness. Will God cover that? Yes. Believe, you, you repent of that. You believe uh, and you repent of that sin, and so you get out of prison. You don't go murder anybody anymore. I mean, that, that's very possible. But, you know, living with someone is perpetual. It continues, uh, and and that's that's the 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 problem with our reasoning about forgiveness. Uh, and and I'll bring up another one here in just a little bit that just blew my mind because uh, and another man told me about this, and and just I couldn't believe what he said. But back to my my dad. Three months after I had this conversation with my dad, he passed away on a mountain in Utah, uh, hiking. And I never got to say goodbye. It's the most traumatic day of my life, uh, hard, darkest days of my life, because I knew what the, the, the scriptures say about this topic. He was living in adultery. And that brings up another point, and that is, well, what is the punishment for adultery? You know, if you're if you're remarried to someone who is not your original spouse, you know, Jesus calls it adultery. Well, what 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 did the Jews know uh, 
about that word and what do we Gentiles believe about that word? You know, is that an, a, a forgivable offense without repentance? Um, or is that something that, you know, all sins will be forgiven men except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? Sometimes we'll default to that scripture. But I'll tell you that everyone that I've talked to about remarriage after divorce has felt great conviction about being remarried to someone and they will go to a church or they'll go to their pastor or they'll go to YouTube and they'll find someone who will give them an out and the conviction will go away and they may translate that as forgiveness but instead I will present to you that that's the case for blaspheming the Holy Spirit because blasphemy means to make light of something or to dismiss something make something that's high but bring it down low the Holy Spirit is convicting you and you ignore it and eventually it will go away. And so, you know, consider that in, in, in your thinking about this. I want to be clear, though, about something. It's not a sin to divorce your spouse if they are sexually immoral, if they're sexually immoral. The Bible gives a way out of that marriage uh, though it, you don't have to leave that marriage, um, certainly reconciliation is possible. But if if your spouse has committed adultery on you, you have the right to divorce, and that's not a sin. It's it's the remarriage to someone while your spouse is still alive. And sometimes we may find fault with God to say, "Well, I didn't do that," or "I'm a victim of that." And strangely enough, in all of the epistles and even Jesus's words himself in the Old Testament, there's no explanation for our questions and the victim or, you know, how to how to make it right if you've been wronged. What what we find, though, is that Jesus asks you to stay single. So that reconciliation may be possible with your spouse. And my mom, having been through this, you know, really struggled with the idea of being alone. She was scared to death, I think, of being alone. And that was such a, a, a difficult thing for her. And, and I would often tell her that if you, if you have Christ living in your heart, you're, you're never alone. And that's not just some pie-in-the-sky thought where, you know, we, we believe in Jesus Christ, you know, but, but it's a, a reality that you never walk into a room by yourself. And so you have a husband. You have a spouse. You have a soulmate um, if, if your spouse leaves you. In Romans chapter 7, Paul reaffirms the teaching of Jesus in verse 1 through 3 where he says that if a woman uh, leaves her husband and marries someone else, she will be called an adulterer or an adulteress. And the entire book uh, or chapter of um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is a, the same thing. And, and I've read that chapter very carefully, and I know that some people will look at uh, those verses uh, a, a little funny to try to find a way out. And 
And I, I found that Paul says the exact same thing that Jesus says. In fact, if there's a contradiction to Jesus, then Paul has a problem. You always default to Jesus if you have a misunderstanding. But just to answer a few of them, um, one of them is the word unmarried found in uh, 1 Corinthians 7, 8. Also in chapter, uh, verse 11 and found again in verse 34. That word unmarried the Greek word there is agamus, and it's the same Greek word all three times it's used, and what it means is single. And so people will say, well, if you're divorced, you know, then you're quote-unquote single. And that would be a contradiction to the teachings of Jesus. And it also would be a contradiction to Paul himself if you look at this, because he says in verse 8, but I say to the unmarried, right, the single, and to the widows, so they're single, so their agamus means a virgin, never been married before, and then he completes it by saying it's good for them to remain even as I am. Verse 11, he says, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried, right, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, right, to be single, not to be divorced and remarried. Um, and then he mentions it again in verse 34, where it says, there is a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of the world and how she may please her husband. And so Paul refers to the agamus or the unmarried as um, single. Like I said, a lot of people will try to manipulate those things. There's also another manipulation in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 during the section of verse 17 through 24 where Paul gives this uh, dissent about, you know, God calling you while you're in a certain way. And I've heard this argument over and over again. Well, you know, I didn't get saved until after I was remarried to this person, you know, which, you know, raises another really, really difficult question. You know, can can you be called to walk by faith while you are unmarried or while you're married to someone who's not your spouse? You know, and the answer is yes, but the first step of faith is for you to leave that marriage because you're walking in adultery. And so, you know, Paul goes through a list of things here. You know, if you were circumcised, don't seek to be uncircumcised. If you were called while you're a slave, don't seek to be free. And he 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 gives these in you know these situations where if you're this way when you were called then stay in that place. And a lot of pastors, a lot of denominations will say, well, that also, because it's in the middle of this marriage chapter, is reason for Paul to be making the case for remaining in a marriage that's not a marriage. It's not um, not the original marriage. And And I think if Paul were here, he would argue with you and say, that's not what I was talking about. Um, if I wanted to be, you know, specific about that, I, I think that he would, if he were going to be specific about answering that question, he would have said it right there. 
but he didn't use marriage. He used some other things uh, to make his point about uh, living as you were called. And then to top all the all that off, the end of the chapter, chapter 7 says, A wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she is at liberty to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment. I think I also have the Spirit of God. And so if there's any question about you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he, he answers it. Um, you're bound by the law as long as your husband is alive. As long as your spouse is alive, you're, you're married to that person. And if you divorce them and go and remarry someone else, well, uh, it's adultery. There's no other way around it. And so Jesus mentions it again in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, whenever the Pharisees come and they want to find a loophole in this, and he doesn't give them one. I mean, there's no way to skirt around this. If you'll read the text, read all the scriptures referring to divorce and remarriage, you will see that Jesus has this locked up. You can't skirt around it to get out of the covenant relationship that you're in. And I want you to know that one of the death nails for me was Luke chapter 16 with the parable of the unjust steward. And I want to I take a few minutes to share with you that section. Now, you're going to need to go to that verse, that chapter, and read it yourself because I'm not going to do a Bible study on it. But in that parable, Jesus tells a story about a, 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 a rich man who has a manager who's managing his goods and he's not managing them well. And so he calls him in and says, it's time for you to give an account of what your stewardship has produced. And as soon as that's over, you're going to be fired. Okay. And so the, the man, we get the insight of finding out what the man thinks when he says, you know, I'm too, I'm too proud to beg and I, I can't dig. You know, what will I do once I get put out of my job of managing these goods for, for this man, this rich man? And he says, here's what I'm going to do. And so he calls all those who are in debt to his master. He says, how much do you owe my master? And he says, a hundred measures of wheat or oil or whatever the case may be. He says, quickly, take the bill and write 50. He says, how much do you owe my master? And he says, 80 measures of wheat or oil or whatever he owed. And he said, quick, take it and write less than what you owe. And he says, and Jesus kind of gives the commentary, and he says, look at what the steward does. He takes what is owed to the rich man, and he cuts the bill so that those around him will take him in when he is fired from his job. Now, this was an epiphany for me, all right, because I realized right at the end of this, Jesus gets an argument about money but with the Pharisees, but it's not about money, okay? If you'll keep reading there, he ends the thing, the parable, by saying, or right after the parable, he says, I tell you, if you divorce your spouse and marry another one, your wife marry another one, you've committed adultery. 
And when I read that, what I realized was that he was talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, okay, the stewards of the riches of God. And, and they were not being good managers of the message of God or the, the riches of God and, and that marriage was a, one of the riches that God had given and he wanted, God wanted a return for marriage. Okay, now just follow me here for just a second. And, and what the stewards were doing was so that they, because they were getting kicked out of the kingdom of God, right, for being bad managers of God's riches, they were discounting the bill. They were discounting what was owed to God or the rich man, right? And I realized that marriage was God's riches that he gave to mankind. It's one of his entities that he designed. And he, he loaned it to us, but he wants back what he desired when he gave it to us, which is a godly family and godly children. And if you say to someone, if you want to get a divorce, you can and go remarry someone, then you've taken the riches of God and you've discredited it so that that person will love you or follow you or come to your church or give to your ministry. All the while, you have betrayed your master, who is God. And so I, when that was the death knell for me. I, whenever I read all these things and I put them all together on paper and I stared at them and then I realized... That's what's going on. People are discounting marriage and they're trying to. I've even seen people take the words of Moses and pit them against Jesus. And they've taken the words of Paul and twisted them to, to say, uh, to discredit Jesus himself. There's no other explanation. We live in a twisted and perverted time. And our ministers who will not stand on this are being fired for their mismanagement of God's riches, which is marriage. I don't want to be that person. That's the reason why I'm willing to create this podcast, write in this book. And I even went to my dad. And, you know, after my dad passed away, I went to my mom. Uh, and, and that is a very interesting story, and I'm going to share it with you because in, in her story, I went to her and I shared with her what I knew about remarriage after divorce. And she was shaken because I was the first one who brought this up as a possibility that she was living in adultery. Okay? And... I want you to know her grandparents, or no, my grandparents, her parents, and a Christian counselor, she went and talked to them about this, and they gave her permission to get remarried. And so whenever the two people, two, three people in authority, her mom and her dad, my grandparents, and the Christian counselor gave her permission to do these things, 
they she took it a heart of saying, well, then there you go. I can do this. I've got approval. <laughs> they were bad stewards. Okay. They had discounted the riches of God in marriage. And so I several years later, I think it was probably, you know, 12 or 13 years later. I may have that number wrong, but I bring up after I'm born again, my dad's died, you know, and, and, and now I bring this up to her and she's shaken by this. And, and she begins to search out um, to see if these things are true. And of course, she would go to YouTube and she would go. She went to her pastor. She went to several people and they all gave her permission. No, 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 no. You can get remarried. Uh, God forgives sins, and it wasn't your fault that your husband had an affair, right? You you can do you can do that. We give you the blessing, and uh, and so she would come back and she would argue with me, and I would say, Mom, but what does this, what does Jesus say? Mom, what does Paul say? But Mom, what is this? And she kept waffling back and forth, and after a time period, and I, th- I think it was probably six or so months of of her in agony about this she finally calls me over to her house and says i believe that god has forgiven me i'm not going to be bothered by this anymore uh, and you are going to be in deep deep trouble with people if you keep talking about this and so you know i i was just devastated by the the rejection of it because I thought, you know, here I've lost my dad and now my mom doesn't believe either. And so, you know, I'm struggling with, with all of that. And, and then, you know, for about four years, I was quiet about the matter and my mom continued. We, we continue to, you know, visit with one another and, but nothing about significance, even though she, you know, tried to, you know, push that, and 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 I, I just I couldn't do it because uh, I had seen that she had rejected it. And about four years later, I, I wrote this book, and I, I gave her a copy of it, and she read the book, and when she got to this section about remarriage, she tells me that she couldn't deny it anymore, and that she felt such heavy conviction. Uh, that the marriage that she was in was not, in fact, a marriage, but that it was adultery. And she called me and she said, I need you to meet me at the park, the city park, and we need to visit. And so we, we go to the city park and she tells me, and all of her, uh, she put a bunch of clothes and toothbrush and, you know, things like that in the back of her vehicle, and she had moved out. And she moved in with my grandparents. And, and after this happened, her eyes were opened to many many other things and she began to walk by faith now she's the only one i know who did that everyone else has fallen back into their their adultery you know or dismissed it or went to a church where you got permission to do it you know or or you know whatever the i've never met anyone who actually left the marriage uh, under conviction and in and begin to walk by faith and so my mom and our relationship has been restored 
the man that she was married to uh, has not been restored. He is he was not in agreement. He went and found everybody and anybody who would tell him otherwise, and he had plenty to choose from. Uh, because there are lots of people out there who will discount the message, and you know that that happens. And so, you know, I want to be patient with people as they as they might hear this podcast or read this book, because I know this is not easy. You probably got married, remarried at a church by a pastor, and you think that may be good, but I want you to know Jesus calls it adultery. And adultery is a sin that the Bible describes as unto death, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and Ephesians chapter 5, and Galatians chapter 5, and Romans chapter 1, and Revelation 21, and Revelation 22, all of those places say that those who are adulterers, or sexually immoral, okay, will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, and, and please don't write me and say, well, I got saved at this time, but now I'm doing it. I'm telling you to walk to say that you're saved is a very, very dangerous statement. OK, because it 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 makes a statement about the condition of the heart without examining the specifics. All right. And, and I don't consider myself I don't use the word saved anymore. I say I'm walking by faith or I'm born again or I walk by the Spirit, uh, because I, I want to distinguish between that, t- that label that has deceived so many. Okay? It's deceived so many. Now, another section of Scripture that you need to go read is uh, Ezra 9 and 10. And, and even though Ezra 9 and 10 is not related to remarriage after divorce, you will see the children of Israel had gotten into... Uh, marriages with pagan people of the land. And they had just come out of 70 years of exile. And these are their children who had moved back to the promised land and were rebuilding. And, and of course, paganistic people moved in while they were gone. And when they came back, they found their sons and daughters to be attractive. They started marrying them. And, And it was brought to the priest's attention that that they were remarrying, he he gets so upset he pulls the hair out of his beard and out of his head, tears his clothes and sit in ashes for such a long time because they had just gotten out of exile and they were betraying their God again. And the word, you know, gets out to the people and they they do something spectacular. They put their wives and their children away. They divorced them. Because they would rather walk in fellowship with God than to have their marriage. Because it wasn't a marriage. It was a sin that God had told them about. You need to read that section. You also need to read Malachi chapter 2, I do believe, where God exposes those who, you know, treat the spouse of their youth with treachery. I don't know what you would call that. You know, you can leave that up for interpretation. But when I read that, I think about a man or a woman who is uh, unfaithful. And but but what they do is they run back into the church or the temple and they wail and weep and cry and they leave gifts at the altar. And God says, why are you weeping, wailing and crying? You've been unfaithful to your spouse. I don't hear you. 
Then and, and and he he tells them that that he gave them their spouse so that they would have godly children. And and so you need to be familiar with that section of scripture. And so go and read all these things yourself uh, and examine what I'm saying here uh, and find out whether, you know, you, I'm like telling you, you can find a thousand different teachers out there who will say otherwise. There's some guys that are showing up on YouTube and they're telling the truth. And I'll tell you about one of them who was outstanding. And he, I don't remember his name, but if you look up remarriage after divorce, covenant, You'll find him. He's an older man who's got a, a goatee. And he brings up that, that the marriage relationship between a man and a woman is a covenant relationship and that God doesn't break covenants. And he says, he brings up this example. He says that the, the Gibeonites back in Joshua's day came to Joshua because God had told the children of Israel to destroy the nations that were in the promised land and the Gibeonites were one of those nations. And they, they decided that they would deceive the children of Israel by, you know, having stale bread, rotten clothes, and act like they had been, you know, come from a long journey. And when in reality, they were just around the corner. And, and so they show up and they say, you know, we, we came from a long journey. Make a covenant with us that you will not destroy us. And Joshua was like, okay. So they make a covenant, and literally the next day they, you know, reveal that they were one of the nations that God had said to destroy. Well, Joshua was going to go destroy them, and God says, no, you've made a covenant with them. You don't touch them. That's how serious marriage is in the way God looks at covenants, right? That's what, well, if it doesn't get any better than that, 350 years later when King David has a, a, a a uh, famine in the land he goes to god and says why is there a famine in the land he says because king saul who was his predecessor treated the gibeonites unjustly and so david gets up off of his hands and knees and goes to the gibeonites and says well what do i need to do and they said give us seven of saul's sons and let us hang them for his atrocities against us well, I mean, if we took today's reasoning, as the man says, well, God forgives sins. Don't worry about that. No, David gave the seven sons of Saul, and they hung them. That's how serious a covenant relationship is, and that's what a marriage is. It's still death do you part. And But we have... We've dismissed all these things because we want friendship with the world or we want to build a ministry and maybe tell them a little bit along the way, maybe a little bit later, you know, or let them read it for themselves instead of trying to choke them out all at once, right? And instead, what we're doing is we're betraying our God. Not something I'm interested in doing. Okay. So in the parable of the sower, there's four different soils. Those four different soils have four different responses. You will know who you are based on the response. And so let's go through it together as we have the last three teachings. The first soil is the, the, the seed that lands on the uh, hard ground. And as I mentioned before, the teaching, the seed is the teaching of Jesus. So if you divorce your spouse, remarry someone else, it's adultery. That's the teaching that lands on your heart. 
And the first soil is like the wayside, right? Like a sidewalk. It's hard as it can be. It's not interested in this teaching. And it's delights in the new marriage that it's in. It enjoys the sin, enjoys the, you know, the, the uh, produce of the marriage. And so whenever they hear this teaching, they're not interested in this at all. It doesn't bother them. And so before long, the birds of the air come and take it away, and you're not bothered by this anymore you know, because you love the marriage that you're already in. But the, the teaching also lands on the second soil, which is the soil that is burned out by persecution from the word, right? Like represents the sun. And so the seed lands there. Uh, and it immediately hears the word and feels great conviction for this sin that they are living in. This person may visit with their pastor who offers comforting words that settle his anxiety. Uh, he converses with friends and family, and the friends and family will say things like, you don't believe that God would cause someone to have another divorce, do you? I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And as the man said in the video, he says, you know, the problem is it's not a marriage. If we call it adultery, like what the Bible calls it, it's not so hard to say, well, you need to leave that. You know, that's the reason why we struggle with that is because of terminology. When you go to these people and visit with them about whether or not you're going to leave the marriage or the adulterous relationship that you're in, they will say things like, God is loving and merciful. Everywhere they turn, they find a person who will give them permission. And because this person can't bear the heat of the persecution for the idea of leaving this remarriage situation, the person eventually withers back and doesn't obey. This person may go on in church doing choir, ministering, serving, singing, or maybe even preaching, all while living in adultery because they could not do what Jesus has called them to do. The third person is the one who represented by the briars and thorns that come up. And those three things, if you remember them correctly, the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this life, and the desires for other things, keep you from obeying the teachings of Jesus. How does the deceitfulness of riches? Well, if you've been remarried for a long time, you've probably built wealth together. And you can't imagine giving up alimony or child support to the children when you're going to have to go be alone. And so it's very expensive for you, and you're not interested in doing that. It would be too costly. The cares of this life, you may, you may care about what other people think about this. You may think about what about love, you know, and I don't doubt that there is love uh, between those who are in adulterous relationships. You know, there's certainly lust. At least that's probably where it started. Um, but again, Jesus doesn't answer those questions. And, and I didn't say this earlier, but I'd like to say this now. The reason why he doesn't answer all these questions is because questions lead to more questions 
And more questions lead to more questions. And what you find out at the end of so many questions is that you were questioning so that you don't have to do it. You don't have to obey if you keep asking questions. Jesus doesn't answer the questions that we have today. He answers a few of them, but he doesn't answer all the ones that we have. The epistles don't answer all the questions that we have. They make statements because obeying is where you hear and you believe and you begin to do because you believe. Now, I do believe that God is patient with us and that he will give us a time to wrestle with this in this twisted and perverted generation that we live in. But if you wait long, the conviction will go away. And I ask the question, knowing that that's him speaking to you, do you really want conviction to go away? We should never believe that we have ample time to decide whether to obey or disobey. The conviction we feel is indeed Jesus calling. I know that if you have divorced your spouse and remarried someone else, your spouse is still alive. You felt conviction. What did you do with it? Well, the third soil, the plant, the the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of his life, and the desires for other things choke out the plant and never produces fruit. The person who hears the fourth, the person who represents the fourth soil, hears the teaching, and like the second and third, they also feel conviction. But something's different and happens in the heart of this person. He believes the word. All actions will come from belief, and he will do whatever it takes to be faithful to the word. He has heard. He will be persecuted. He will be ridiculed for his faithfulness to the word. But he will be helped along. Because belief will give Because you believe, you will be given the strength and help of the Holy Spirit. But you must believe, and you must take that first step in obedience and belief. He will consider the cost of obedience to the Word, evaluate whether or not he has enough faith to fulfill the words and the teachings. And unlike the other three soils, the fourth soil, because he hears the Word, understands it and obeys it fruit comes out and just like my mom whenever she stood up and believed it sent a shock wave through the church that she was attending and my entire family because she began to walk by faith in something that no one had ever, they had ever seen anybody do before. And people obviously ridiculed her. There were a couple of interventions that were tried to be had. You know, and they they would, they, what are you thinking? You know, are you crazy? And she stood stand, or st- stood firm on this, and it just sent shockwaves around this area and everyone who continues to hear about it marvel and she's not alone 
she has Jesus Christ living in her. And uh, and she has resolve, even though she had to go get a job and move in back in with her parents. And they're not they're not necessarily in agreement. She testifies everywhere she goes of the goodness of God and her thankfulness that this was revealed to her before it was too late. I know this is difficult. Won't pretend that it's not. I'm telling I'm asking you to put down all your other voices that are screaming at you saying it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay and I want you to look at the scriptures. I've given you several to go to. And be honest with yourself. The day you did this, you know you felt conviction. Now you know that's the Holy Spirit that was screaming at you saying no, 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 no. You did it anyway. Well, now that you've heard, what will you do? Will you dismiss the teaching altogether? Just like the first soil does because you have no place for this in your heart or in your life? And chalk me up as a false teacher? Or will you be like the second one who will hear this teaching and run out really quickly and decide that you're going to do this and when you face persecution and you will face persecution do you retreat back and not produce fruit which is obedience or do you look at this like the third soil and realize that the deceitfulness of riches you know, I can't do this because it will cost me so much we've built wealth together, we have children together, we have a house together, we have all these things together or the cares of this life. Well, what will people think about me? What will people say about me? I can't do this because I'm a statesman or I'm a deacon or, you know, I pastor a church or I lead music or I do a wanas or whatever the case. What will people think about me? Who cares what they think about you? What does Jesus Christ think of you? Or even the desires for other things. You know, I want this marriage. I want this life. I want this house. I want our kids. I want all these things. And those three things choke out this teaching and they destroy it and destroy your understanding of it. And then it withers away. Or finally, will you be the one who hears the word and believe? Come what may, persecution will come. Those same struggles will come. But I'm going to do it because it's adultery, and I believe him. I believe the word. And I'll tell you something. The moment you step in faith, and if, if marriage, if remarriage after divorce is your first occasion of faith, if you've read, listened to the other podcast or read the book, you know what those are. If that's your first occasion of faith, I think that's a big one. You know, my first occasion of faith wasn't nearly this big. Though they keep getting bigger as I progress along. But if remarriage after divorce and leaving a a marriage that's actually adultery is your first occasion of faith, that's a big one. But... There will be bigger ones that will come later. And that first one, whether it be big or small, will always seem to be impossible. 
That's what faith is. You don't know what will happen out of because you obey Jesus Christ. You hear him speak. You know you're being called because of the conviction. You don't know the outcome. Well, where will I live? What will I do? How will I eat? What will I mean, these things my mom faced. What and and I all I could tell her was that God is faithful. And he's looking for faith from you. And I'll tell you, she she lives today. She's never missed a meal. She 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 ran into some trouble with some 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 stuff and and people rose to the occasion to help her. Um and so I know this is difficult. But who do you want to be? I'll remind you that in the parable, the only the fourth soil is the one who has a positive outcome. Only the fourth soil receives eternal life. The first three don't. Even though they may hear the word, understand it, try to do it, fail at doing it, try again, fail. The fruit is obedience. I hope this podcast is helpful to you though I know this one may not be encouraging to you. But I hope that it's helpful to you. Feel free to share it with people who you've had this conversation with before. And if you want to know more information, you can go to specificfaith.com. I've got some articles that are written there, or you can send me an email if you have any questions. I don't mind answering questions. And... If you, if you want to, you can pick up a copy of the book. If you don't want to buy the book, send me your email. I'll send you a copy for free. But until then, until next time, walk by faith in the teachings of Jesus Christ.